Okay, good morning. We're going to get started. First of all, there's more coffee. If anyone would like uh, coffee with any flavor of coffee mate, my wife buys out the coffee mate at Publix on a weekly basis. Um, there is a sign-up sheet going around. If you sign up, it'll be easier to remind everyone when we're having class and even more significantly in the event that we're not. I mean, you're welcome to come anyway on Wednesday mornings and hang out at my house, but uh, in the event that we're not. So please uh, sign up and... Um, Make sure to give your information. Okay, last week we studied, again, the idea is to study about Amuna each week. And we're not studying a set safer, but rather each week to find another nugget, another unit just for that week, something to inspire our Amuna of the week. As we spoke about last week, Amuna is one of those things that hopefully we have within us. It is inside all of us to feel there is a power, a creator, something greater than ourselves in this world. But life gets in the way, we get distracted. We get distracted by a world of temptation, we get distracted by a world of, um, of to-do lists and tasks, and we forget to connect. And so the goal of getting together on Wednesday mornings for a cup of coffee and a, a boost, an injection of emuna, is to hopefully carry that charge throughout the week and to remember with a, a greater sense of emuna that we don't live here independently, that we're not all alone, but rather there is meaning, purpose, and order of the universe and that there is a creator who has an intimate, personal relationship with each and every one of us. So I want to study this week. Last week we saw a piece in the Salaam Rabbi Nesiva Shalom. And this week in front of you, you have a piece from Ali Shor. Ali Shor was written by Rav Shlomo Volbe Zatzal. Rav Volbe, who was himself a fascinating individual about Tshuva, who uh, became the Mashkiach of Yerushalayim. He did not supervise a kitchen in Yerushalayim. And Mashkiach is the description of the position of the spiritual mentor of the yeshiva. The Rosh Yeshiva gives the intellectual challenging shear, and the Mashkiach speaks to the Rosh Yeshiva speaks to the brain of the students in the yeshiva, and the Mashkiach speaks to the heart and the soul. Mashkiach is, is responsible for the spiritual growth. And, uh, and Revova was an outstanding individual who had penetrating human insight, a brilliant, brilliant person. And uh, there are two volumes that represent the Vadim, the Musar groups that he used to run. It's called Alay Shor. It's in two halakim and two volumes. This is the 16th chapter of the first volume of Alay Shor, his introduction to his chapters on Emuna. And maybe we'll continue and see those chapters on Emuna, but the introduction itself I think is fascinating. He begins by quoting the Gemara in Shabbos, Kuf Yates, 119b. The Gemara in Shabbos says the following, Kol ha'one amein let me also just say this, by the way. I know that some people here aren't uh, literate in Hebrew or it's harder to understand and some always ask for English. And some. The reason I think it's great to study with a text and we don't do enough of it is that the highest level of Torah learning, nothing compares to when you have your pen and you have your text and you're underlining, you're writing the... Tra- my greatest years of learning breakthrough, my earliest years were writing the translation of the words, underlining an asterisk, coming back, knowing. There's passive learning where you're listening to a lecture, and there's active learning where you have a text and you're marking it up and you're making what we would call a kinyan. You're acquiring that total learning. You're going to review it later. You're going to share it with somebody else. You're going to take another look at it. And that's how you pick up more and more words. That's how you remember more and more. So don't feel obligated to follow one side, but one of the goals that we'll try to achieve on Wednesday mornings is not just talk about Amuna, but do it through a text so that we're gaining skill in texts and so that we're making, we're acquiring Torah to make it our own. So the Gemara Shabbos says, Whoever answers Amen with all of their enthusiasm, whoever answers Amen with all their passion, 
The gateway to Gan Eden, to the Garden of Eden, is opened for them. This is a statement of our rabbis in the Gemara Shabbos. This is the origin of, you may have heard some communities have Amen groups. Maybe this is going to turn into one. Drink your coffee and make a bracha, we could all answer Amen. But whoever answers Amen Bekokocho, if you respond to somebody else's bracha, first of all, that in itself is instructive. You respond to someone else's bracha means that someone else made the bracha out loud so you could respond. So just as an aside, I cannot tell you how critical I think it is in our homes and around our children or grandchildren to recite brachos out loud. You talk about the, the influence of Amuna through osmosis, the, the nuanced, implicit statement of Amuna. You know, our children don't only grow because you sit them down on the couch and give them a lecture about the first cause creator of the universe who has a relationship with us. Our children know you believe in Hashem, not necessarily because you can have a philosophical, theological uh, dialogue with them. They know you believe in Hashem because before you take a sip of coffee, you say, Oh, wow, I need this coffee so badly. Thank you, Hashem, for inventing the coffee bean. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me access to a delicious cup of coffee right now. Sha'akol, you say a bracha, that everything came from Hashem. It was all created with His Word. You know, the children may not articulate it. It may not be on a conscious or cognitive level that they say, Oh, my parent believes in Hashem because they made a bracha. But day after day, year after year of hearing a bracha out loud before you eat, and feel free to throw it into the bracha, I'm going to thank Hashem now for this amazing dinner that, that we're about to eat, or for the opportunity to go out and eat a restaurant, or for the ice cream that we stopped to have. Come, make a bracha with me. Tell your kids, you make a bracha. I want to be able to answer amen to you. Because as we'll see right now, the whole notion of a bracha is an affirmation of emuna. I believe you exist. I and mean, you don't say thank you to somebody you don't believe exists. You don't say thank you to a figment of your imagination. You say thank you to somebody, something that you wholeheartedly believe exists. So just by saying thank you to Hashem, you are implicitly affirming, acknowledging that you believe He's there. And then the person responds to that bracha and says, Amen. What they're saying is, Ditto. Me too. That's what Amen literally means. Amen means ditto. Me too. Amen is you said a bracha, you believe in Hashem? Me too. I also recognize Hashem who created everything with His word or whatever your bracha you're saying. So the Gemara says that if you answer Amen with all of your energy, with all your strength, with all your passion, with enthusiasm and excitement, it achieves opening the gates to the Garden of Eden. My Amen. What is Amen? I'm on the third line. Amar Bichanina Kel El Melech Ne'eman. Amen is an acronym. Amen is El Melech Ne'eman. The God, the King who is trustworthy, in whom we trust. Kel Melech Ne'eman. It says on your dollar bills, in God we trust. Amen is, in God I trust. Amen is the root of the word emuna. It comes from the same word. So a person who screams out, Amen! You give an Amen, but kokocho, not you ignore the other person's bracha, not you mumbo Amen, not you say Amen to yourself. You give an Amen, but kokocho, it opens the gates to the Garden of Eden. Amen is an acronym, Kel Melech Ne'eman. Says Ravobi the following, Der Chazalhi, Legalos Dvaram Ha'omdim Berumo Shalolam, Davka Bemase Katan. The way of our rabbis was to reveal the most significant, the greatest, the most advanced ideas through a small gesture. Anias amen bekokocho, 
What's the idea of answering Amen with all of your being? Hakavana maise katan shel emunahu. You know, some people think a great statement of Amuna is you're willing to die on Kiddush Hashem. Right? This week's partially of the Akedah. Avram is willing to take his son to Har HaMuriah and he's asked to sacrifice and we can't even imagine. We spoke about it yesterday in the Parsha class a little bit, but the supreme sacrifice of not only killing your beloved precious son, but killing your whole future. Avram spends years on a soapbox lecturing the world about how they have it all wrong, he has it all right, God's promised him his children are going to be like the stars in the sky and the sands on the beach, it's going to all happen through my son Yitzchak. You should all know that through my little Yitzchak, we're going to transform the world to be a monotheistic society. The future is with my family. He's been telling that on every talk show, writing that as op-eds in every newspaper, telling the whole world. And then God says, uh, change your plan. I want you to kill Yitzchak. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, don't imagine. Avram not only is going to be asked to do the most cruel thing to his own flesh and blood, but also what it means to lose his life mission. That's an unbelievable challenge. It's an unbelievable challenge. So that's a supreme, supreme moment of Amuna To say, I believe in God. Whatever God asks me to do, I'm going to do. And we have in our lives supreme moments of Amuna. People go through incomprehensibly difficult circumstances and they're asked to still believe. That is an unbelievable statement of Amuna. Answering Amen is the smallest, most trivial, seemingly trite expression of Amuna. Someone made a bracha, they had a cup of coffee, and you said amen. Big deal. You said amen. That's like the complete polar opposite of being asked to kill your own son. Amen. A small thing. A small little gesture. Umegalim chazabaza, and our rabbis reveal through this, kimasa katan shal emuna, through a small gesture of faith, poseach lefnei adam kol shari ganeden. Right? It's not that the gates of ganeden open when you're willing to die al Kiddush Hashem. It's not that the gates of Ghanaian open when you're willing to, to you know, sacrifice something meaningful in your life or be willing to suffer, be willing to endure ridicule. Or No, the gates of Ghanaian open because you answered Amen. Someone made a bracha and you said Amen. Such a small gesture. V'gamzos aleinu ladas. It's upon us to try to figure out. Ki chazal eina medabrim b'melitzos. You need to know that when our rabbis, they don't speak in hyperbole. They don't make exaggerations. Their language is not inexact. If our rabbis said something, it's because they want us to understand it. And they want us to understand it in the way they said it. In many places, we find our rabbis giving us the following promise. Our rabbis constantly telling us, that if you do the right thing, live this virtuous way, be a noble person, you are promised a portion where? Olam haba, the world to come. And yet, says Revolbe, if you want to really understand what the rabbis are saying, we have to decipher, why did the rabbis here not say what we're used to them saying? If you answer Amen with all your energy, with enthusiasm, you're guaranteed a portion of the world to come. Usually that's the promise, right? Give staka, daven with kavana, be a good person, don't speak lashnara. Ah, guaranteed a portion of the world to come. Here, that's not the promise. Not the usual. Here, it's not a portion of the world to come. It's the gates of Gan Eden will be open. What happened to the usual promise incentive that our rabbis use? Begam Also, if you look carefully, the rabbis say, if you answer Amen, the gates to Gan Eden are opened. It doesn't say you merit to go into the Garden of Eden. 
You merit to live in paradise. That's not what it says. Answer, Amen, with all of your energy, and the gates to Gan Eden open. Okay, I mean, if you want to give me a promise, why not the promise be that I merit to live in paradise? I get to look through the open gates? Where is Gan Eden? Olam Haba is the world to come. Olam Haba is to return to our source. It's the world of bliss. It's the world of perfection. It's the world of the ultimate in revelation. Olam Haba is the world to come. It's the place of, of reward. Gan Eden is a throwback. Gan Eden is a throwback to Adam Arishon, to Adam, before the sin. So what happened? We were in Gan Eden. When Adam is first created, he's placed in the Garden of Eden. Why is he out? He got booted. Why did he get booted? Because of his wife. No, it's dangerous. Why did he get booted? Adam is expelled. It's a dangerous... Uh, I'm, out, I'm out, well outnumbered here to make those kind of jokes. But Adam is expelled from Gan Eden. Why? Because he and Chava had bad judgment. They made mistakes. And their mistakes created a barrier between themselves and God. In Gan Eden, Hashem was revealed. Everything was taken care of for you. Man, first of all, lived forever. He had immortality in Gan Eden. In Gan Eden, one didn't need to work. One didn't need to toil. In Gan Eden, Hashem's presence was undeniable. There was no barrier. There was no doubt. The uncertainty that we live with, the doubt, the struggle, is there God? Is there not God? I don't see Him. I don't feel Him. How could a God do that thing? I don't know. All that didn't exist in Gan Eden. Ba'olam shala'achar achet, we're on the third paragraph. In the world after the, the mistake, shorer hester panim, we live in a world where God is concealed. We live in a, girl, a world where God is hidden. If we want to, and we wouldn't be alone, there's plenty in the world, we could deny God's existence. We could live as atheists or even agnostics and say, the world operates on the principles of nature. There's a natural order. So there's chance and happenstance and randomness and things just are. There's a natural order. Why do some people get sick and others are healthy? Ah, it's a fluke. It's a statistic. It's data. Why is there an earthquake or a hurricane or a... Ah, why does this one have, uh, have healthy pregnancies and great nachas from their children and this one struggles? Ah, it's nature. It's the natural world and the natural order and everything that happens to us is a product of nature. There's no God. There's no creator. There's no omniscient per- uh, being that, uh, that interacts with the world. If one wants to, God is hidden. He's concealed, leaving room for doubt. Now, why is that, by the way? We spoke about it last week in the, in the afternoon class, in the, in the Shabbos afternoon class. It had to be that way. Because God wants the world to have meaning, and for our life to have meaning, we have to have free will. If we don't have free will, there's no purpose to life. To be pre-programmed robots who execute exactly what we're supposed to, without choices or free will, there's no, there's no point to life. The bread and butter, the foundation of every relationship is the fact that the other person in the relationship has choices to make. They make the right choices and we feel closer. There's intimacy, there's connection, there's affection. They make the wrong choices and we feel distance and we feel a barrier. But if they never made choices, we just program them to be exactly what we wanted. Right? That sounds like it would be great. You could program your husbands to put their socks in the laundry basket, to be home when they said they would be home, to do it. Da, da. it right? If you could program them uh, like you program your computer, you think that would be great. Isn't there a, a, a 
movie like that, Stepford Wives? Yes, there's a movie like that, and Stepford the whole idea of the movie is that that you think that it would be a, a, a great life, but it's not. You know, it's not a great life. You want a robot, you could have a robot. You can't have a romance with a robot. There is no love, there is no intimacy, there is no affection. Those, those feelings that are the very source of our energy, of our life source, of our being alive, you can't achieve that from a relationship with a robot. You need free will, you need choices, because the choices and the results that come as consequences of the choices give meaning to life. Hopefully enriching life in the most positive of ways, sometimes having a setback in life, but hopefully overall providing a very meaningful life. And what's true in our human relationships, it's true for parents and children, it's true for uh, friends, it's true in marriage, it's true in every realm of life. It is the free will that gives meaning and purpose and, and, and animates and makes the relationship dynamic and rich and meaningful. And without it, there's no relationship. And the same is true in our relationship with God. If we just were obedient and did everything God wanted exactly as He asked it, He didn't need to create a world that looked like that. He created the world and He planted us and plopped us in this world filled with temptation and distraction and desire. And He said, now make the right choice. And when you make the right choice, you're going to feel like a million bucks and you and I will have a relationship and there's no greater pleasure and there's no greater good than that feeling of connection of doing the right thing. There is no greater good than the feeling of doing the right thing. Now, I always say, I don't always live it, but I always remember it, and I try to live it. When you're in that great zone with eating, right, everyone, you're dieting, you're healthy, lifestyle, whatever you're doing, when you're in that great zone where the, the, the unhealthy food doesn't even tempt you, when you're in that zone, so the great feeling of being disciplined is far more pleasurable than the momentary taste of the chocolate cake you gave up. When you're not in the zone, you forget that. You think the chocolate cake tastes better and is more rewarding and will last longer than whatever pleasure. That's the challenge of it because our mind plays games on us and you forget it. But when you're in the zone, what keeps you in that zone is you stare down the chocolate cake, you have no interest, you defeat it, you walk away with your head high and you say, you know what? Being able to say no, being disciplined and regulating myself, expressing my free will in a healthy way is more delicious than any piece of chocolate cake ever could be. That's the way we were wired. It's the way that we are programmed. So in order to retain that free will, God has to be hidden. If God talked to us, like you know, people say all the time, well, if God talked to me like he talked to Avram, if God spoke to me like he did Moshe, of course I would believe him. <coughs> so why doesn't God talk to us? Why isn't God revealed? Why is the world designed in such a way that he's hidden and that we could be in denial if we want to be? Because otherwise you don't have free will. You do not have free will if the consequence is right in front of you. Nobody ever speeds with a policeman in front of them on the highway. You'll never be on the highway and see someone turn on their blinker, go in the left lane and zip around the cop. Never happens. Why? Do they have free will to speed in that moment? They don't. Yes, they can press on the gas pedal, but that's not free will. Free will is you're presented with equal opportunities and choices, and you're not when the policeman is on the road right in front of you. Well, if God were revealed undeniably, you wouldn't have free will or choice, and there'd be no meaning or purpose to life. So Hashem has to remain hidden, and there's terrible consequences to that. That's a necessary part of life having meaning, but the result of His being hidden is free will. The result of free will is people choosing the wrong things, causing a lot of pain and destruction and death in this world. But if you couldn't choose bad, there would be no meaning to choosing good. It can't just be you have free will, but you can only choose good. There has to be the alternative of choosing bad, otherwise there's no value to choosing good. So for the sake of free will, which is the 
entire purpose of life, there has to be the option of bad. Why am I telling you all this? Come back to Revolba. So Revolba is saying, Hashem is hidden in this world. He's hidden so that we can have free will, but He's hidden. And if a person wants to live their life and say, ah, it's all randomness, it's all chance, it's all nature, teva. Second line of the third paragraph. Kain efshar liros behistoria sharsheras shal mikrim o sharsheras shal meoros asher chukim tivim hechrichum lehisavos If you want to study history, you can. The option is available to you to study history and say, it's all natural. 1967, it's a fluke. We defeated all the armies around us, but you know, the stars were aligned just right. That it happened to be, it was chance we were victorious. You could look back at all of history and study this way. If you want to, the Rambam writes, if you want to explain every one of the ten plagues that happened in Egypt under the rules of nature and science, you can. You can. I remember reading a New York Times article many, many years ago of a scientist who argued that if the planet were the right way with the stars, with we called the waves to go the right way, you could scientifically explain the winds would blow through the night. You could scientifically explain the splitting of the city. You could do it. Is it likely? Is it probable? But you could do it. The option remains there. If you want to look at history and not see God, but explain it all based on nature and randomness, you can. And it's essentially what we do in our own private lives. All the successes that we have, we ascribe to our own hard work. Why do I have that success? Because I worked hard. Because I was dedicated. Because I achieved it. So what do we do? We have a selective way of looking at life. We look at all of our successes as being a result of us and all of our failures because of external forces. Something didn't go right? Uh, it's not my fault because my lousy family member, it's because my boss, it's because of the community, it's because of the rabbi, it's because of the weather, it's because I didn't feel well, it's because of the other driver, it's because of the whatever. Whatever went wrong, it's someone else's fault. Whatever went right, it's entirely to my credit. There is an iron curtain between us and God where He is hidden, He is revealed, He's behind the curtain. He's hidden. I'm sorry, not revealed, he's concealed. He's hidden behind the curtain. And we go through life with his being hidden. Ha'emuna, if you choose to live with Emuna, if you choose to peek behind the curtain, if you choose to say, you know what, it's not just me. There's a creator. There's something greater than myself. And both my successes and my failures are for a reason and for a purpose. Everything happens for a reason. There is a cause, there is meaning to the world. Ha'emuna megala es abore yisbarach, you know what Amuna does? It pierces a hole in the Iron Curtain. Amuna is, you take a knife, a sword, and you slice open that curtain. You say, God, you're not, getting, you're not remaining hidden in my life. You're not going to be concealed, concealed in my life. I'm not explaining everything through science and randomness and chance and nature. I'm explaining that it's all you. I'm opening a window in that wall that is blocking you from me so that I can see you. Amuna is, I see you in my life. I choose to see you in my life. I ask you for the things I need your help with. I have gratitude to you for the things I'm grateful for. I praise you. I recognize you. I appreciate you. I communicate and I talk to you. I'm living with Amuna. I'm cutting a hole in that curtain that blocks us. So ha'one amen koach emunaso. When you answer Amen with every ounce of your emuna, with this affirmation, this great declaration, someone makes a bracha and you say, 
I believe in him too. I see him too. I talk to him too. I'm also grateful to him. That's what Amen means. What happens? Poscha no shari gan eden. Hu atzmo nimza betoch olam hazeh mustar haponim. Achu roa nechocha es haolam betikuno. I love the visual that Revolba provides. What were Revolba's questions? Why is it that if you answer Amen with all of your energy, if you express Amuna passionately, enthusiastically, you're promised the entrance to Gan Eden is opened? What happened to being promised Olam Haba? And why not be promised you're in paradise? Why are we being promised that you open the gates to paradise, to Gan Eden? So he's answering it. When you answer Amen Bekokocho, you, you open the wall between us and Gan Eden. There's a place called Gan Eden. In Gan Eden, God is revealed. In Gan Eden, you don't deny, you don't live with doubt, you're not sh- unsure, you're not curious. In Gan Eden, you know as much as I know that you're sitting in front of me right now. You know with certainty that God exists, that God is involved in your life, that God loves you, and you live with gratitude towards Him. That's the place called Gan Eden. Normally, there's a wall blocking us from Gan Eden. I don't know if God exists, I'm not so sure, I live with doubt, sometimes more than others, why would He do this thing to me? There's a thick wall. When you answer Amen, when you live with Emuna. You open a hole in the wall. You open the curtain and you see Gan Eden. You see that world of God being revealed. You see what it's like to live with God in your life. If you can successfully open that curtain and peer into Gan Eden, your feet are firmly planted in this world, but you're spiritually already living in another world. Right? The people that we know who live with Amuna. The people that we know, I spoke last Shabbos about Rebbe Timachlis and how her son-in-law, my buddy Avram Willig, described her as otherworldly. Her feet were firmly planted in this world, making 300 meals a Shabbos and taking care of people and hosting guests. But she was otherworldly. She was in Gan Eden. She was looking right through the gate. To her, there was no curtain blocking up. I'm not sure. I don't know. Why would God? I don't know. That gate was open. That, was, that curtain was wide open. Her feet were in this world, but the curtain was wide open. She was peering right into Gan Eden all the time. That's what Amuna could do. So for Henny Machlis, there was nothing that was random or chance or nature. Everything was Hashem, even the guy knocking on her door at three in the morning. Gabriya ain't a teva. Historia ain't a mikra. Right? Creation is not just nature. Right? You, you go to the Grand Canyon or you see a remarkable sunset or you live some... You, you observe some incredible natural phenomena. It's not just nature. That's God. History is not chance. Our success is not the result of our initiative alone. In nature, you see God's will. Like, who put nature into order? Yes, there's something called nature. Of course, there's gravity and there's rain, an ecological cycle, there's nature. But who is the driving force behind nature? Who created the natural order? Nature is the Ratzon Hashem. Nature is the will of God. History is God interacting with the world. My getting pleasure, having a delicious cup of coffee, is God's chesed. Wow, God, you gave us the coffee bean. God, you invented ice cream. That's, un- that's your chesed to me. Hachazek ba'emunaso chai ba'olam a person who's strong in their amuna is living in a spiritual world even while their feet are on the ground. The entire world is transformed to a place 
where you see Hashem everywhere. Challenge your kids. Next time you're on a long, or your grandchildren or your neighbor's kids, next time you're on a long car ride somewhere, challenge your kids. Okay, who could see Hashem everywhere? Let's have a contest. See something and tell me if you see Hashem. At the end of our parsha, by the way, talks about Avram planted a tree and he declares Hashem. Rabbi Salavechik talks about Avram was trying to send the message. Hashem is not just in philosophy and theology and all kinds of fancy words. You see this tree? It's Hashem. It's Megala Hashem. You plant the tree and it grows. And then it grows fruit. And you can eat the fruit and it produces something that allows you to plant another tree. That's unbelievable. And it's sweet and it's delicious. And it sustains us and it nourishes us. That's incredible. That's Hashem. How can you live life with the curtain open instead of closed? And the control, you know, the strings to the curtain to open it, that's up to us, not Hashem. Hashem's behind the curtain. It's only up to us to be able to open the curtain. We are the only ones who can control through living a life with Amuna that is symbolized through answering Amen Bekokocho. Can I ask a question? Sure. So are you saying that this curtain stays open so if we're living in two worlds, so then obviously we don't go into Gan because we only go into Gan when we leave this world. But the goal is, is when we're in a physical body is to have our feet planted on the ground and always keep the curtain open. Exactly. So that's the state of existence. Exactly. Not the desire to actually be in Gan Eden or alive. We don't want to die. We believe in... We, we believe that... And this is unlike other religions who, who cherish death. We believe that life... And why is that, by the way? Because what we were talking about before, only while you're alive do you have free will. And only with free will can you achieve and earn closer relationship to Hashem. The moment we die and we go to the Olam HaEmes, the world of truth, where Hashem is revealed entirely, you're done, you're stuck, you're set where you are, you can't grow anymore. The only way you can advance is by getting a return on the investments you left behind. That's why we say Yisker. That's why we say Kaddish. That's why we do things in the merit of our loved ones who are no longer here. Because we can help them. But they can't help themselves anymore because there's no more free will. Only in this world do we have free will. And that's why we cherish every moment of life. So we're not talking about Gan Eden in some way, you know, glorifying death and wanting to get there. We want to live life as long as we can, but we want to do it with the curtain open. So I would take it even further. You know, sometimes you can have a door that has a spring. So when you open the door, it automatically closes. The curtain has a spring. It's just the nature of our lives that even when you've opened the curtain and peered through it, the curtain automatically shuts. So you have to constantly pull the string. With every bracha you make, with every amen that you answer, with every piece of nature that you say, that's God, with every moment in history that you see Hashem's hand, you have to pull the string over and over and over again. It's tiring because the curtain is going to keep closing automatically and only through our efforts and affirmations and exercises and amuna do we continuously open the curtain over and over again. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if it has to do with the Soviet Jewry movement. But uh, I don't know. Chazal already did. Chazal had this... Revolba didn't invent it. it. It comes back from Chazal. I guess it's the image of a hard metal and impenetrable and... Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if he says this curtain. He says iron wall. I'm saying uh, curtain. I don't know because maybe I have... Uh, what was that? What's the... Who's behind the curtain? The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, maybe that's why I have the Wizard of Oz on my mind. Yeah. When we're saying to Hillam for somebody who's ill, yes, um, they always say that when you do it in a group and not, you know you can say well 150 chapters and everything that you're opening the gates of heaven, you're opening Shari Shemayim yep. for that person. So it's the same. Absolutely. Also, yeah, the the, the prayers are going directly to the Kisei Hakavod. 
Last sentence of the third paragraph, the long paragraph. If you live life this way, your life is transformed. You're now, you're living a, another level of consciousness, another level of mindfulness, of being awake. Or, if you're searching for Hashem, He will call out to you from every corner. If your eyes are open, there's like a radio frequency that's constant. There's a radio frequency of Hashem in this world, but you have to tune your radio to hear it. And once you tune your radio to hear it, oh, you now have access to a world of incredible things, of amazing listening. But you have to tune your radio over and over and make sure every day that your radio is calibrated, is finely attuned to pick up that frequency. And once you do, you know, it's like living without Amuna is like seeing in black and white, and living with Amuna is all of a sudden your life becomes in, in full color. In full color. You see Hashem everywhere. You feel happy and meaning and purpose. You feel your life is, is, is at a different level of consciousness. The El Melech Ne'eman Melava Oso Akol Derech And Hashem is escorting you everywhere. Into every meeting you walk into. Into every difficult moment of homework. Into every fight you're trying to resolve. Into every carpool you have to do. Into every, everything that's on your plate. Hashem is escorting you if you invite Him to come. And living life with this Amuna is in fact the entire essence of creation and is the foundational reason for every mitzvah. All 613 mitzvahs, all of a rigorously halachic, observant lifestyle is designed to live life with Amuna. To be mindful from how we tie our shoes in the morning to, I mean, think about it. I think I mentioned this last week. To come out of the bathroom and say, Asher could you have another level of mindfulness that even when you're done going to the bathroom, you're thanking Hashem? I don't want to say Hashem came with you to the bathroom, but He's waiting outside for you. And when you come out, you're saying thank you to Him. And Asher I was at the Kotel many years ago, and outside the bathrooms, they've redone them like ten times since. I'm sure it's still there. They had like a plaque on the wall of Asher And I was sitting there. I won't say who I was probably waiting for to come out of the bathroom, but I was sitting there, and... Uh, and there was an uh, Israeli man and his son, also waiting for their counterparts to come out. And the Israeli man was reading this bracha on the wall. And, you know, I guess the benefit of being Israeli, you understand Hebrew, even if you're not observant whatsoever. He clearly wasn't observant. It might have been his first time at the Kotel. He's Israeli. And I overheard him telling his son, like, wow, look at this. <laughs> There's a blessing for coming out of the bathroom. That all the parts are working the way they're supposed to work and producing and, and absorbing the nutrition and getting rid of the waste and... Holy cow, check out this bracha. That's unbelievable. And seeing through his eyes, the uninitiated person's eyes, how incredible it is to have a blessing. How mindful that makes you. And, and, you know, I hope and pray none of us have had this experience personally. But somebody who's had to live with a catheter or a colostomy, somebody who's had (coughs) significant GI problems, they'll make that ashriyatzer like never before. We neglect the Ashriyatzer because, thank God, we've been in a position that our whole life, it's like no big deal. It's a nuisance. Got to go to the bathroom, get out of the way, get back to life. But if you appreciate what it means to be able to properly absorb what you've eaten, take the right things, leave the wrong things, everything's working properly, getting rid of what it needs to get rid of, that's unbelievable. It's a miracle. You see Hashem even in that, so much so that when you come out of the bathroom, you want to say, thank you. That went well. Ashriyatzer. Because God forbid it didn't have to. So, Ashiyasu is just one example, but all of halacha is designed before I eat, I say a bracha. Everything I do is designed to see Hashem in this world. 
And that's what the Ramban writes at the end of Parsha's bow. Emuna zui tachos I'm sorry. Lefichach amru, two lines from the bottom of the page. Lefichach amru have izar b'mitzvah kala b'chamura. Our rabbi said, be as careful and vigilant with what looks like a small mitzvah as a, a strict one. Shekulun chamudos v'chavivos ma'ud, shebechol sha'adam moda b'hen l'elokav. Said the Ramban, never... Never dismiss something as a small mitzvah. Oh, yeah, that's a small... I don't do that small thing. I do the big things. Because every gesture, and sometimes the smaller the gesture, the bigger the expression of emuna. For those who came last night to the Shalom Bayes seminar in Gottman, and we talked about Gottman has this notion that throughout our day, couples make bids for connection. You make a bid for connection. Could be you walk in the door. Could be a call. Could be a text and check in. It's a bid for connection. And we respond to those bid for connections in one of three ways. We turn towards, we turn away, or we turn against. And you need the proper ratio of 20 to 1 and so on. You can listen online if you weren't there about the whole Gottman philosophy. Emuna is that God throughout the day is making a bid to connect to us. If you woke up this morning, that was God's bid to connect. You had food to eat. You had a roof over your head. You found the parking spot. The meeting worked out. The thing happened. The credit card went through. That's God making a bid to connect with us. And we could react to Him in one of three ways. We could utterly ignore His existence. We could turn against Him. Or you can respond positively. Every mitzvah we do, says the Ramban, is a positive, favorable response to His bid to connection. We are connecting back. You know, to live life with Amuna, to do a mitzvah, to say Amen, Bekokocho. The essence of every mitzvah is to acknowledge God and to be grateful for His being our Creator. This is the purpose of being alive. This is why God created us, and it's all He wants from us. He wants us to know we exist. He exists. He wants us to acknowledge His bid for connection. So says the Ramban, this is all in the Ramban's introduction to the book of, uh, in, sorry, in the end of Parsha's bow, says the Ramban, all of Torah and Mitzvot is designed to promote and reinforce the opportunity to affirm our belief that Hashem is there and our gratitude for everything that He does on a regular basis for us. And what's shul for? To gather together and collectively as a community say, Thank you, Hashem. And the opposite is also true. You could seemingly be doing all the right things, but if underneath it you don't believe God exists, you're kafwe tov, you lack gratitude, you're an ingrate for all the good, you're turning against his bid for connection, you don't have a relationship even if you're going through all the motions. This is simple. If you're missing emuna, you're living in black and white, not in color. So if you're not living with emuna, you're missing out on the key, on the core purpose of life. Hashem Enecha Halo Le'amuna. And that is uh, our thoughts on Amuna for the day. Yes? Are you going to discuss in future classes um, what happens when you have Amuna and bad things happen anyway? Yeah, we could try to talk about that. Why do bad things happen to good people well, living with Amuna? Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's like this is the, the, elephant the, the, in the room. This is the positive stuff. Right. What to do, it's the elephant in the room. We'll get to it. Yeah, and you also said like God is 